The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. Welcome to The Howler. Your weekly look into the state of Wolfpack Athletics. Now let's go to your hosts, Drew Blevins and Nick Sinopoli. And we welcome you back inside of our studios here at the West Dunn Building for another edition of The Howler. I'm Drew Blevins, as always joined by Nick Sinopoli. Nick, you finally get to sit in on an interview as we prepare to give you the state of Wolfpack Athletics. Glad to have you along for the first segment. Oh yeah, you know, it's always good to be back here in West Dunn Building, and this time especially for a great interview we have. We are joined by Christian Hall of the men's club soccer team at NC State. Christian, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Oh, no problem, guys. Well, the reason we have you on this show is because of the weekend that's coming up for NC State club soccer with a full long weekend tournament. NC State has hosted a few of these before. What's it like to be able to play a full tournament format here in Raleigh? Um, it's really exciting, actually, to plan the whole thing, um, make it uh, your personal thing. Um, but to play here in Raleigh is great because we don't have to travel anywhere. Uh, all of our guys can get involved, um, give everyone a bunch of play time, um, and just uh, have a lot of teams come visit us uh, and see how great NC State is. You know, uh, looking up and down the weekend, you guys have a couple of opponents that uh, proved to be uh, kind of testy going in the weekend. Um, what are some uh, things you guys think you really need to uh, fine-tune going into the weekend? Well, what we uh, going into most tournaments we've played, we don't go in really uh, strong, losing the first game uh, and then having to rebound and play our best in the last few. So uh, we need a good week of practice next week uh, and come out strong in our opening matches uh, so we don't have to rebound and uh, really play catch-up in the next uh, few games. And when you're looking at the opponents that you do have coming up, who are you most looking forward to playing in the tournament? Um, USC, to be honest, uh, they, uh, won their uh, division a few years back. Uh, so a really tough opponent. Um, and so I scheduled them first, um, so we can, uh, play our best. Hopefully our first game will be well, well, well rested. Um, and I really want to play them see how they, see how they'll be. Now for you as a club soccer athlete, unlike some of the other club sports here at NC State, you have a varsity counterpart program to look up to with the men's soccer team that plays over at Dale Stadium. For you as a club soccer athlete, what is it like, uh, the difference between being a club versus a varsity athlete for you? Um, well, definitely the time uh, and dedication. Um, we only practice twice a week, where uh, those guys, they practice every single day, um, have a fine-tuned schedule, have to be certain places. So, it definitely gives us a lot more free time, uh, so we're not having to practice every day. We're not tied down. Um, but the ways that we're same are similar. Um, we play. We have really tough opponents, uh, and the level of play is definitely there. Looking into that South Carolina matchup, what are some some key uh, key themes or some key matchups in that contest you're going to be looking specifically at? Um, so definitely in the midfield. Uh, it's definitely how we control games. Um, if we can pass uh, and connect mesh all around, uh, we'll be looking at a W, hopefully. Uh, one thing that we've uh, done well this semester, uh, we've won, we've gone undefeated, but we've uh, connected well with our passing and finished really well this semester. If we can come out and get a few early goals like we've had uh, in these last few games, uh, we'll definitely set the tone for that game. You definitely keep saying to get out and ahead early seems like you're – like your game plan going into the weekend, you need to start off and get on a get on a good note. Um, 
anything you specifically as a player think you need to work on going into the matchup? Um, just definitely warm up well. Uh, warming up uh, for games is definitely uh, a big thing for us. Uh, if we go out there, take it seriously, get a good stretch, um, and then do what we need to do in the warm-ups, that definitely sets the tone. Um, in years past, we might have been a little bit too relaxed and joking around a little too much, but a serious warm-up, uh, we're all on the same page, really helps us uh, prepare for the game. And you had talked a little bit earlier in the interview about having to come out and start well, and obviously you're playing the tournament format here. What's it like to have to balance keeping stamina throughout the weekend versus being able to give it your all in one of your bigger matchups? So, yeah, that's, I mean, with three games in such a short amount of time and three games in two days, um, you really got to um, move some guys around and give some guys who might not normally get play time, give them a decent amount just to get the, the starters or uh, the top guys rest. And it's really hard uh, finding those times because if you're playing three good opponents, uh, you might not be able to give them the rest that they need. But uh, having a large squad and talented squad like we do, we're able to um, rotate some guys and uh, give the rest that they need. Well, and it's not just as if you're getting production out of any one individual area on the field. You have talent at all three levels. Can you talk about some of the players that we should be looking for heading into this tournament? Um, so on a defensive uh, level, I would definitely say Mark Harris and Phelan uh, uh, Hose will definitely put in some work. They always do. Um, and they're definitely the defensive backbones of the team. Uh, in the midfield, uh, our guy Daniel Rice uh, constantly putting in work and effort. Uh, he runs the midfield. Uh, see a lot of things out of him. And then up top, uh, Skylar Dove, our leading scorer for the semester, has been putting in a lot of work uh, up top um, and has done a really great job. You mentioned the amount of effort this squad has put together this season. It's a team that has achieve success this season would you say this is a, a squad that maybe is different from years past and will have some success in the postseason um i definitely would love to say that um we've we've defensively uh, a lot of effort we haven't let in a single goal so the, the signs are there that um this team is definitely a lot better than uh semesters past but um we've i mean it's been the pretty much same backbone for the last few semesters but this year we're just really clicking um, so I would like to say that uh, this will be a, a better semester for that. And in soccer, we always hear about the size, the importance of size when it comes to basketball or football or something, but your NC State team has this nice combination of size on the back end and speed when it comes to the attack positions. When you're looking at that balance, do you think that's an ingredient to your success? I think it does, definitely. Um, when it comes to uh, soccer... Uh, I mean, you, you see your tall guys that are really talented, and you see your short guys like Messi that are obviously really talented. Um, and a good mix of that um, is what really makes a team. Along the back, we have some tall guys, guys with size. Guys up top, we do. And then there are also the mix of shorter guys, medium-sized guys. But um, we'll play teams with all these tall guys with size, and they're just – they have no uh, diversity, so we just, it's – you really need that uh, diverse uh, size squad, uh, and it really helps out. 
Well, aside from the diversity, the other thing that you have is difference in playing levels. Soccer, a widely played high school sport, of course, but when you're looking at guys who have come on to this NC State club team, what are a lot of their backgrounds? Varsity high school players playing at the regional club level like you would in a Castle program. What programs are these guys coming from? So one thing that has really helped us out this year is that we've had a few guys play on varsity programs here at NC State and other programs like uh UNC Wilmington that definitely are the backbone of the team. You have one at center back and one at center mid um, that really just kind of give the team its shape. But then also uh, we have plenty of guys who've played in like the castle program, like you mentioned, who are also very talented, but maybe didn't want to commit to playing D one soccer, but definitely still have the talent. So we have those guys who have that experience of playing D one, but also the, the talent to really mix together. Well, thank you so much for your in-depth analysis on soccer, but we'd like to transition off of the soccer pitch onto the hardwood, and we'd like to really gauge your opinion on the recent hire for NC State, head, uh, the new head coach, Kevin Keats. We'll be talking about that later in the show, but we'd really like to, to get a fellow club athlete's opinion. What are your initial thoughts on the hire? Um, although I'm a very big soccer guy, I love NC State basketball, and I, I agree with the hiring. I think it's a really good hiring. Um, I saw the UNC Wilmington versus Virginia game and really thought UNCW was going to pull away. But uh, I think the hiring is great. Um, In the first uh, interview we heard from Keats a few days ago, he was very confident uh, about bringing championships back to state. And I I really want to hear that out of a coach. You know, Drew, that, I mean, this guy's got some pretty hot takes. I think he might have a spot on the show. I, I think he's going to have to end up taking my job, as a matter of fact. Christian, last question for you. With the tournament coming up and a few more games down the stretch, if you're trying to bring people out to watch NC State club soccer, what's your plea to the fans? I'm sorry, I didn't get the last part. What is your plea to the fans to get more people out to watch NC State club soccer? <laughs> well, we like to pride ourselves in being one of uh... – one of the, I guess, what do you call it? The beautiful sport clubs where uh, they call soccer the beautiful game. Uh, come out and uh, watch us play the beautiful game. Christian, thank you so very much for your time, and we're certainly looking forward to being out there to covering more NC State club soccer coming up here shortly. Oh, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. That's Christian Hall of the men's club soccer team coming up on the other side of this short break. We'll talk a little bit more about Kevin Keats being hired as the new NC State head basketball coach. We'll have women's hoops and also softball and baseball all coming your way on The Howler, brought to you by White Street Brewing. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company, handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. very much thank Christian Hall for joining us here on the Howlers. The NC State Club soccer team prepares for their tournament this upcoming weekend. Nick Sinopoli rejoins me here. Nick, club soccer on the rise here at NC State, both at the men's and women's level. you excited for the tournament coming up this weekend? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's always a pleasure to cover club soccer over there at Lower Method Road Field. It's one of my favorite events to cover over there with lacrosse and women's rugby. I think the team is in a good place right now. They, they've struggled in years past, but I think they're on the rise, Drew. I agree, and I think this tournament's really a, an excellent opportunity for them to show everybody what they're really made of. Wolfpack soccer, club level and varsity level, continues to be on the rise, and it is very exciting. The dominant news story in NC State athletics, though, stays on the hardwood on the men's side as the NC State Wolfpack just hired Kevin Keats, the former head coach of the UNC Wilmington Seahawks, to be their new head basketball coach. Nick Sinopoli, 
a lot of people at Wolfpack Nation very excited to have Coach Keats here in Raleigh. He had an excellent run with UNCW, back-to-back conference championships, back-to-back tournament appearances. But does that success translate as he comes to North Carolina State? You know, it's... I think he's going to have success here at NC State. He signed a six-year deal worth $2.2 million per year under uh, Debbie Yao. I think he will be successful. I think, to be honest, the recruiting is going to be good. I mean, he was able to recruit under head coach Rick Pitino at Louisville, helped coach that team to a national championship in 2013. I think Coach Keats definitely has the tools to be successful at NC State, but, of course, with a new coaching staff, you're going to be back to square one. I think he's going to do a great job keeping the guys in Raleigh in Raleigh because you got to look at Abdul Malik Abu and all those guys wondering if they're going to transfer after Mark Godfrey's left. But at that press conference Sunday, it looked like all those guys are hyped up and really excited for Coach Keats. But, you know, it always seems to be like that when you've got a new coach, Drew. Well, and I think what's incredibly exciting is that whereas – NC State fans might not have known a lot about Mark Gottfried when he had his tenure at Alabama. Coach Keats's career has been fairly public in the state of North Carolina because he's coming from in-state. I think my biggest gripe with all this, though, is just how quickly he yep. was hired. Mm-hmm. Because it really does make you wonder, was there ever any discussion with Archie Miller? Was there ever any discussion with Will Wade? Was there ever any discussion with Chris Holtman? Greg Marshall had been discussed. There were other coaches out there that NC State had pretty publicly thrown the name around. And not to say that Keats was a bad hire or an incorrect hire. That's not what we're saying at all. He, he, In my opinion, this is a very good hire for NC State, at least as it stands right now. But... Does it ever strike you as odd as the fact that Coach Keats lost 24 hours prior to being hired at a new school and just the speed of this entire process? It, it is a little troubling, Drew. And in my opinion, I think it did go a little fast. But remember that last coaching hire where Yao hired Mark Godfrey, that process went on for a long time. It was a long and arduous process. But I, she pulled a 180 here and hired Keats as basically as soon as he got off the court, losing to Virginia in the first round. But I, I like the hire to an extent. You know, when you look at how fast he was hired, you've got to wonder if Yao had any other conversations with those other previous candidates you, you just spoke of. And, of course, the big one is Archie Miller. He was the sexy pick. He was the one that everyone wanted by far. But, in my opinion, the reason it moved along so fast is that Yao contacted Miller and he just wasn't interested. Or he's going to look at that Indiana job. We're going to look at that Ohio State job. Those are two big Well, Ohio programs. State hasn't publicly fired that motto. You know, yeah, and th- those those are two big programs that Miller has expressed interest in and that those, in my opinion, I think those schools are going to go after him hard. But in my mind, I think Keats was my fourth pick on that list you mentioned with Miller, Chris Holtman, Will Wade, and then, then coming Keats. I, I like the hire, but I think it went a little too fast. But it's good to see Keats finally going out, and he's actually starting to recruit some guys as well. Which is exciting. And Mike Krzyzewski had even made a remark before Duke was eliminated from the tournament, when you can get a coach into a program quickly and start to make that process move, graduate transfers, get on the recruiting trail early, you really you can increase the potential for success in your own program a whole lot quicker than if you're just sort of lackadaisical and making a new hire. So credit, I think, goes to the athletic department for making this hire quickly. 
I don't think anybody expected it to be made in this kind of time frame. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody expected NC State to have a coach before the NCAA tournament was over. I know I certainly didn't. But nonetheless, here are the cards that you've been dealt, and now Kevin Keats gets to fill his own cabinet. He gets to determine the assistant coaches that he'll, he's going to be able to bring in. But I think the most important thing right now is when you look at the players who are already on this NC State roster, are most of them going to stay and play for Coach Keats, or are we going to see some players go ahead and start to move on with their careers? In my opinion, I think most of these players will stay on the roster. And I know while quotes and press conferences can be misleading, I really, truly believe the comments of Abdul Malik Abu and Torn Jordan. These guys are really excited on this new hire, and Keats went as far to say that Abdul Malik Abu would be the player on the NC State team to receive the most benefit, would benefit the most from their style of play. So, of course, that's encouraging for him as a as a rising senior and, you know, contemplating his NBA draft stock. I think Abu will definitely stay, and that is a huge piece for NC State. And you look at Ted Capita, Markel Johnson, Sean Kirk, those are a couple of guys that there's been some questions on whether they will return or not. But in my opinion, the only guy leaving this roster is Dennis Smith Jr. And, you know, while people will like to dream about him staying, there's no way. And I, I've I've heard um, Joe Giglio tweeted tweeted out that there's probably going to be an announcement coming next or early next week, prob- possibly Monday or Tuesday, on Dennis's declaration for the NBA draft. But I, I think Omer Yurtsevin will go out, test out his stock. Probably not going to get anything back he likes. I, I don't think he's going to gonna, he He's the one that I'd be worried would go out and, do something non-cerebral like hiring an agent Mm -hmm. and therefore sort of nixing your entire college career. I agree. I think he tests the waters, but I think... I think it's in his best interest to stay. Oh, most certainly. Because the difference between Keats and Godfrey... Or else go back to Europe. While we haven't discussed really the differences between Godfrey and Keats, I honestly don't see a lot of difference, but the one main one is player development. I think when you look at mm-hmm. the people Godfrey brought in, how how better did Abu get in his in his past three years? Uh, he, he really did. And last year well, he had 14 double-doubles. This year he only had four. So there's clearly something coaching going on right there. But I well, mean, that's and, the big difference. And Luke DeCock from the News and Observer, when he pushed out his first article as soon as Keats had been hired, that was the first thing that he actually made a piece of commentary on was players who have forgotten where the weight room was are scrambling to get back in. I think the nice thing, the refreshing thing about having a new coach and a new regime in the NC State locker room is you're going to start to see players rejuvenated. You should start to see an increase in effort, and that might mean in some cases you're seeing different players take the floor because they're going to have to earn playing time with Coach Keats. I don't think this is going to be the same offensive system. I don't think it's going to be the same. I hope it's not. Are you kidding me? It's not going to be the same defensive system. No, I'd really love to. No, I don't think anyone wants to see Dennis Smith dribble for after a 10-second standstill and then drive to the basket or have Maverick Rowan run the baseline one more friggin' time. I mean, I want to see something different. But, well, and I mean, defense is going to be the story. Do you, does Maverick Rowan have a place on this team anymore? Because I mean, I think he's. I mean, he's the best shooter. He's well, the let's, be- go, let's get that out of the way. And I, potentially, I've, potentially. With I mean, you know, I st- personally, maybe Sean and I, Kirk? I, I I think Terry Henderson's the best pure shooter. 
Well, I know it wasn't proven this year, and I know that, that he's still up in the air whether or not he's going to come back. You know, I, I think he does get another year. Even playing six minutes, you know, looking at Rashid, uh, looking at not Rashid Suleiman, excuse me, Emil Jefferson for Duke played nine games last year and then sustained an injury, and he came back for his fifth season. So, Did, I, I, you know, comparing to that, I think Terry. I, I would back. I would agree with that completely. I I think what stands out for me though is whenever you do get a new coach, and whenever you get a new coach who's come from a smaller conference, like UNCW, like the CAA. When you get Kevin Keats here in Raleigh, now in a Power 5 conference, in the best conference in college basketball, with the fan base that Allegedly. Pushed, that, uh, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> with the fan base that pushed out Mark Godfrey after four straight tournament appearances, after two Sweet 16s in six years, can Kevin Keats handle the pressure? You know, I think he can and looking at his resume, compared to Mark Godfrey's, Mark Godfrey had an all-right tenure at Alabama, leading that squad to one Elite Eight appearances and many NCAA tournament appearances. I think Keats, while I don't, I'm not so far going to say that this team is destined to make the tournament next year. I don't think they are. I do not think they will make the tournament next year. I do think they will be above 500. I think there's a chance they make the NIT, perhaps. I think, I think there's a chance they make the NIT, but... I mean, that's all going to be coaching because it's the same uh, kind of players we had last year. So, for Keats, do I think he can handle the pressure? I do. But it's got to have, he's got to make the turn in that second season because, remember, Yao will be gone. She, she has announced and has made it public that after two years, she will leave NC State. And that is probably another reason why we didn't see a lot of other options for NC State well, instead of just Keats because not many people want to play under an athletic director that will only be there for another two years. And that third year is the big year in terms of coaching. You've got to really establish yourself as improving in your first two years. In that third year, you have to bring something big. So NC State and their third year for Keats, they're going to have to make the Sweet 16, in my opinion. They're going to at least have to make the tournament but more than likely win, be in the Sweet 16 in order to see this hire as a success. And you have to give credit to Keats because him wanting to take that job shows the confidence in himself that he can get the job done. And see, that's what worries me. Because I think it's going to be a success if in two years this team just makes the tournament. I don't care if they win a game. It's a success whenever you're rebuilding that in two to three years you've taken a program from well out of any postseason considerations to being in the tournament, I think if he that's wins, an excellent move. I think if he makes the tournament in his latter two years of these first three years, in his second and third year, then his job will be secure. But, but it see, really just depends on the new athletic director. I, I, it, it's so hard for me to be able to say a coach who had a fan base at UNCW who had never seen good basketball. I and mean, they, UNC, UNCW has never had a good basketball and they, team. And they loved him. They really loved him. And they did because he endeared himself to that fan base. And even though they didn't win a tournament game, let's look at how close they came to beating two neighborly rivals, one Duke, one Virginia. Look at how close those games were. I mean, we're talking a bounce or two, and UNCW has a pair of tournament wins, which would have sent the Port City into a frenzy. Here, in Raleigh, not only are you expected to get tournament wins, you're expected to beat the two or two of the greatest basketball programs in the history of college basketball. You're playing in a very difficult conference to play in. You're playing in a conference that this year put nine teams, arguably should have been ten, in the NCAA tournament. 
and you're going to throw a guy who comes from the CAA into that. My, my, my final question on this is, relationship to the fans, is do the fans at North Carolina State University, do the fans of this school have it in them to be patient with this new head coach? Because that's what worries me the most here. That's what's the most concerning. To be patient. That is a great question. You know, in my opinion, I think Keats has what it takes to compete with the Blue Bloods of college basketball in in his tenure here. But, I mean, you got to remember, he was at Louisville. He's had experience in there, and he has come out and said, why wouldn't you want to coach right down the road from UNC and Duke? Why wouldn't you want to coach in the best conference in America? But do I think this fan base is going to be patient with him? Not one bit. Are you kidding me? It's NC State. These fans are delusional, and it's not that bad that they're delusional. When you have when you have success with a with one of the greatest coaches in basketball history in his short time, Jimmy V, you want to get back to that success. You tasted it once, you had a short taste of it, and you you want more. You yearn for that. And you can see in NC State's past history, their past 35, 40 year history, that if you get one higher wrong, that can derail a program. So it, well, it, and I think if I had to give a grade for this hire, I would say it's a B, just because of the the length of the hiring process, not very long. But I do not think this fan base is going to be patient with him. I think they are demanding a tournament next year, and I don't think it's going to happen. And, and in three that's years, the they're going to demand a Sweet 16, and I don't think it's going to happen. That's what's so concerning, is this fan base has never been patient. And, and you don't put a lot of stock into what Gary Parish writes, I don't think. But when he published his CBS Sports article about why coaches don't want to touch this NC State job, there is still a lot of truth in what he said. Because this fan base is not a patient one. This fan base supports their team so incredibly blindly, which, as you said, isn't always a bad thing. But... You've got to be realistic in your expectations. Are you going to beat Duke and Carolina next year? Nope. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, but probably not. Year. They beat Duke this year by some stroke of luck, which that team shouldn't have beat Duke, but yeah. And that was without Coach K. Yep. I mean, it, it is so hard to, to talk reasonably with a diehard NC State fan because all they want to throw out is... 40 the, no, baby, sweet 16, you know. Well, blah, blah, and not blah. even so much that. Yeah. yeah. All, because the tangible result recently, at least, has been NC State is far inferior to Duke and Carolina in basketball. Yep, that'd be fair. And all anybody wants to talk about at NC State is, well, we don't have an academic scandal going on here at North Carolina State University, and we also don't have a player who goes around tripping other players and cheating, and we don't have guys who claim to be Southerners and run up to New York and New Jersey. But we're not good. Exactly. <laughs> And, no and one cares. No one all, cares if all, your players. All anybody people. else, all anybody I mean, else in this state is going to do, is going to laugh and point fingers in the direction of Raleigh, and it's fair this season. It's absolutely fair. Of all basketball programs in any division, I think North Carolina State University was the single most embarrassing mark on the state of North Carolina in collegiate basketball this year, and I don't think that's overstepping the bounds. Not at all. And I think what fans need to realize at this point is that the change that you all wanted the change that you all wanted a new head coach a new look it's happened Mm -hmm. but just like growing a garden and for many people who come here from agriculture should know this 
It takes time. And this isn't necessarily a quick fix, in my opinion. I do believe that Coach Kevin Keats is here for a sizable tenure. It would not surprise me if he's the head coach 10 to 12 years, if not longer. But it wouldn't surprise you if he's here for three years. It wouldn't. And I think That's if, the great if, thing about NC State. Nothing surprises you anymore. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Expect the unexpected when you come to Raleigh. There are so many endearing qualities about Coach Keats already. I just, I'm really worried that this fan base... Ah, uh, too good to be true again, would you say? Well, not even so much that. I'm just really worried this fan base, as you said, is going to expect greatness immediately. And when it comes to building a program, look back at what Mike Krzyzewski had to go through with Duke in the early 80s when look, he got look hired. Look how much he grinded through. I mean, that you know, before his successful season... No, no school... No one wanted to go to Duke. No school is handed greatness on a silver platter in any sport. And everybody in North Carolina State University just went, whoa, 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 Blevins, whoa, whoa, whoa. You realize that North Carolina gets everything handed to them. That's not the case. It's just not the case. I know they have a national championship banner from 1924, which is some 30 years removed from the invention of the game of basketball by James Naismith. But did you look at what they did through the 30s and 40s before the 50s? It's not a whole lot there. Have you ever looked at the rivalry that went on consistently between Jim Valvano and Dean Smith and the fact that after 82, Carolina really went a fair amount of time, 10 years, without a national title? There are down years over in Chapel Hill as well. In fact, you know, you'll know, you look on social media sites where most recently when UNC fell to Duke for the second time, excuse me, the third time in that ACC tournament, you know, people are screaming for Roy Williams' head, saying, fire Roy, fire Roy, fire Roy, while people in Raleigh are here saying, are you, know, are you kidding me? You have no idea how bad it is. So, impatient fans are everywhere. They are. But, NC State is just a whole other level. And before we switch over into our women's basketball team at NC State, the last question I have for you is one that I think is really burning in everybody's mind, and this isn't NC State-centric necessarily, I don't think. Instead, it more revolves around the conference. Nine teams make the NCAA tournament from the ACC. And whereas last year you had six teams advance out of the first weekend of play, six ACC teams going to the Sweet 16, this year you have North Carolina. And that's it. (laughs) Was the ACC really that good this year? Did we dilute it in our coverage? Or was this a conference that just ran out of gas at the NCAA tournament. You know, I, I'm going to go along and list a couple of ACC teams that underperformed. You, and in my opinion, the first one you look at is Virginia. While, in my opinion, I didn't, I thought Virginia was not that good going into the tournament. You know, it, they're a team that plays incredible defense, and they live and die by the three-pointer. And they just couldn't do that against either, <coughs> excuse me, ex, either Wilmington or Florida. They got steamrolled by Florida. Are you kidding me? And they me? barely escaped UNCW. Barely, barely escaped UNCW. But, I mean, that was a team, while greatly coached by Tony Bennett, I think, in my opinion, if I if in the Nick Sinopoli NCAA tournament, they're probably a seven seed. I do not think they're great. Fair. I don't think they're that great. Moving along, Florida State, I think, while they have, they are, I wrote many articles for the technician, on basketball, but I compared Florida State to NC State 
at the beginning of the season and at the midway point when they faced each other. And they were similar teams, both highly recruited squads, both incredible incredible backcourts, but they underperformed sometimes. And they got wrecked by Xavier. Xavier, an 11 seed, who had a play-in game. Uh-huh. And... Yeah, they made the Sweet 16, and Florida State barely escaped Florida Gulf Coast. So I think Florida State definitely underperformed. Don't think they're a three seed. That maybe they're a four five seed. seed, four or five, exactly. And then you look at Duke, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame Car- playing, and everybody's going to Carolina forget. almost lost to Arkansas. Probably should Arkansas, have. Arkansas ran out of gas. Arkansas, Arkansas ran just out ran gas. out of gas. And also it's the that, referees that missed, missed that uh, that put that put back on uh, Kennedy Meeks. Joel Berry walked big time, but I mean that—that's also just you know one what call. you know what though. I don't know if that makes the difference I, in the game just because <laughs> Arkansas ran out of gas. But I'll also tell you this much about NCAA officiating: walks happen all the time. You want to go back and look at one that affected NC State? Go back and watch Cody Miller McIntyre on the buzzer beater lay in a couple of years ago against Wake Forest in Winston Salem. Yep, I remember that four one. step walk. Yeah, four step walk. Traveling is a is an infraction that doesn't exist in my mind. Yeah. It just especially in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's I mean that's the last thing you're looking for. This right there. this but is this the, uh, ACC ha- has underwhelmed. You know, Wake Forest had a play in game. You got to remember that it didn't didn't play well against Kansas. State. But I thought they played just fine against Kansas State. Kansas State just went defense. off. They did have their best game of the year against them. I mean, Duke losing to South Carolina. South Carolina, a good In team. Greenville. A sneaky good team. But Duke probably should have had that one in the bag. But I still, I'm still going to go as far as say ACC is the best conference in basketball. It's just the fact that I think going to the tournament, I think the, the selection chair, we'll call it selection committee, Really remember that. Say, ACC is the best. ACC is the best, and I think they kind of gave them some interesting. They gave them some interesting uh, matchups, and it played in the hands of them. And but definitely the biggest team for me in the ACC, Florida State. They really underperformed. You know, and it's such a high seed. Hard to disagree. I think the most underwhelming team was Notre Dame. I thought Notre Dame was going to blow West Virginia out of the it, water. I, you know, I had them going to the Elite Eight. Because I had I, Notre Dame in the Final Four. I mean, they're, they're, they're one of those teams every year that will make a run in the tournament, but they just played absolutely terrible against Worst, West Virginia. One of the worst games they've had of the season. But even you throw that out the window, this is my problem with the way the NCAA tournament schedules games. A, I don't like that if you get put in a region, you're not necessarily playing in that region in the first round. Yeah, I mean, you can't really avoid that, but I hate it too. I, I think it's ridiculous that... Whenever the tournament was looking at, okay, where do we want to put Duke and Carolina? The biggest rivalry in college basketball in the 21st century, if not ever. We're going to put them in the same building. Very well knowing they both could win. And very well knowing that the next day, or two days later, they're going to have to play back-to-back. The NCAA tournament is supposed to be a neutral site game in my opinion. You understand that having a good regular season benefits your team by meaning, typically, you get to play at the nearest site. That's great. Why in the world was South Carolina scheduled to play in Greenville as a seven seed? Moreover, why in the world, again, again, do we find the NCAA putting Duke and Carolina in the same building? 
because while Greenville is not Columbia, there are going to be a fair amount of South Carolina fans anywhere in the state. Oh, yeah. Which is fair. And Duke fans travel well in close proximity. That's fair. And there are two big Duke fan hubs in Atlanta, Georgia, and Charlotte, North Carolina, and Greenville's about smack dab in the middle. I'm not calling out Duke fans here. I'm calling out the NCAA. Because you very well know that the Duke fans that might make up 30% of that crowd are going to be outnumbered by the other 50% that are South Carolina fans that have made the trek from Columbia. But in the second round, you've got a bunch of North Carolina Tar Heel fans who are staying back just to see what happens. And in a close game, believe me, in an instant that light blue turned garnet. That's just absurd for the NCAA tournament to do that. Because Duke deserved better. Duke really is going to go down as having a disappointing season because they didn't make a deep tournament run. They were the ACC champions, which I called that back at the beginning. I think when you looked on paper, if you didn't call Duke or Carolina, you were really shooting yourselves in the foot. But, once again, here we are in the NCAA tournament talking about this rivalry between dark blue and light blue. Do you think Duke got snubbed? Uh, definitely with that with that location. I mean, if you're going to put it anywhere, you know, put it a little farther away from the South Carolina fans and put it up in Virginia or maybe even Maryland or something. But, you know, when you look at that contest, South Carolina should have never had the game. That was, a home, that was home field advantage, home court advantage. Well, and not even that. It wasn't even so much a we're cheering for South Carolina crowd. Since so many Tar Heel fans stayed back, I think the single most infuriating image that I saw was a group of Carolina fans, a, a whole pod of light blue <laughs> that was jumping about. around and high-fiving because Duke was going to lose. Not because Carolina had won, but because Duke was going to lose. It, it's, it's just one of those things. It really is. You know, I, I've, I've never put that much analysis into it, but one of the most fu- frustrating things about the NCAA tournament is their location, the location mm-hmm. of the sites, and probably not giving those mid-major schools. Like, looking at Illinois State, I mean, they, they had an incredible year. Had only, I think it was seven losses didn't on the Didn't win year. the conference. D- Illinois- but didn't win the conference. See, Ill- I, think, I think you might, just because of their record and how they did, and they struggled, but they struggled with non-conference. Their RPI was th- like 37, but of course their strength of schedule wasn't that great. But, see, but I, I think you might give them a tournament Here's what you've got to remember. Else. Here's what you've got to remember. The automatic qualifier for getting into the NCAA tournament is winning your conference tournament. Look at how many number one seeds did not win their conference. Yep. I'm not sure if Michigan makes the NCAA tournament unless they win the Big Ten. They're a bubble team at best. But surely you're not just going to bump out Purdue, who was the top of the Big Ten, and has Caleb Swanigan, one of the most electrifying players. Not going to do that. You're not going to take VCU out of the tournament just because they lost to Rhode Island in the A-10 final. That's not how that works. And Rhode Island was a bubble team that automatically punched their ticket. When you look at the number of number one seeds that were knocked out, North Carolina is another one. When you look at how many automatic bids this year were squandered on tournament winners, that's why Syracuse and Illinois State got bumped out. Plain and simple as that. It really is. Switching away from the men's hardwood, though, we come to a women's basketball team at NC State that had had an excellent season and then got seeded sixth, heading to Austin, Texas. Disrespect. Put respect on the name. 
I I would agree with that. I thought NC State probably should have been a five seed, a two or three five Maybe seed. Maybe even a four. I don't think they were a four. But look at their top fifteen wins. I I I appreciate that, and look at the fact that they lost to Louisville in the first round of the ACC tournament. Yeah, that that's what hurt them the most. I think if they had even won one game, they're probably a number four seed because they probably take Louisville's spot. An impressive showing against the Auburn Tigers, but I think what is going to irk me the most is the way NC State blew a late fourth quarter lead against the Texas Longhorns, predominantly because they got into foul trouble. All of NC State's best players fouling out with under five minutes to go. Nick Sinopoli, I have my own opinions about what happened in the past five minutes, in the last five minutes, I should say. But I want to hear your thoughts first. You know, I, that might have, that's probably like the second women's basketball game I've ever watched on, on TV. The rest, of course, I watch here at NC State. But, you know, I, I feel like the microcosm of that entire game, that entire officiating, was that fifth foul on Maya Spencer. Yep, I agree. Where they, her and the Texas guard just got tangled up with each other not even really tangled up I feel like Maya Spencer just had a hand on her hip and it was a foul and Spencer's gone and Spencer's gone your NC State's fourth she's tied for fourth in career assists she was having a career game with 31 points and you foul her out on that sorry call you've got to be kidding me I mean Looking at that, and then, of course, with Dominique Wilson driving in late in the game and totally taking some contact by that Texas player, and she's called for the charge. Now, you could make a case for that. I see the charge. I understand why a charge was called. I'm glad you saw it. But I I would have called a a block. You know, I I could – it was iffy, and I'm okay with a charge call. But of course, You're okay with a charge I, I'm call. Okay. I'm okay. You know, if I had to put it, I'd be like 60-40 on the block. I, I feel like you can make a case for a charge I don't there, think it's a foul. I, think it, I, I, I think don't think it's a foul. I think it's a no call or a block. And I think I don't. that play and Maya Spencer fouling out is absolutely ridiculous. Because you look at both sides, both teams, almost all of their starters had four fouls. And well, that is and you, not, that's you, not... You clearly see who got the brunt end of that. That's that's what's so infuriating. It's it's not like NC State was going out, hack a horn, and send them to the line. That That's not how this game played out. This was, there was a, a lot of contact. This was a physical, they, well-played best, college basketball game. The best game of the game. tournament it's been called so, so far. far. I completely agree with that. And I watched that whole game. That is one of the best collegiate women's basketball games I've ever seen, and I've followed this tournament since I was a freshman here. I don't know how in the world it ended like that. And I don't know how in the world that's palatable. And it's and the, and the fact is that it was in Texas. because Well, and Texas that's how the women's have, tournament works. And the thing, the, but the thing is, though, Texas never should have had a game. Never should have been a three seed, in my opinion, because... In my opinion, it just should have been the other way around, Drew. You know, oh, they should have been playing in Raleigh at Reynolds. I mean, of course, as a, I mean, as a six seed, you know. But going into that tournament, you know, going to ACC tournament, it's like NC State is going to host it, going to host it, and they and they blew a lead against Louisville, which, in my opinion, as we agreed earlier, if they win that game, I think they're a four seed, because then Louisville had a good tournament, and then Texas, 
went into the tournament as a number 14 or 15, 14 slash 15 in the country, and they get a three seed? Are you kidding me? I feel like they were a four seed team, maybe even a five seed team. The only reason Texas beat NC State was because they're taller and because they got all the calls. Now, maybe not even Texas got all the calls. It's just the officiating on both sides were just terrible. What do you have? Both of your starters getting four fouls? You've got to be kidding me. And the last thing you want to for the NCAA to bring, really just to bring the excitement to women's basketball, you foul, you have the player, the best player on NC State's team foul out with 31 career points. 31 game points, 31, yes. 31 points in Fourth that game. Fourth in career assists. Fourth in career assists. I think it was a career high, the 31 for her. And you foul her out on a touch call. I think it's terrible. NC State had that game in the bag, but it, you know it's going to be remembered it, for how Westmore has really not produced in the postseason. And I don't think that's really fair to him. It's really not. Because this is a game State should have won. This is a game State won. Because here's what I saw on the charge call. I saw Dominic Wilson go straight up. Law of verticality applies to defense and offense. I saw both players rise straight up if anything, I did not see the far side foot of the Texas defender plant and set, yep. which automatically makes it a block call. I thought initially it was a restricted area violation, not the case upon further review. But when you've got under a minute to go, here are the things you that should swallow, be whistle. Here's, whistle. Here's the thing that here's the things that should be called for a foul. Are you ready for this? Murder in the first degree. <laughs> Murder. Flagrant ones. Attempted murder or aggravated assault. Those are the only things that should be whistled for fouls. Period. And while that was a play that had a lot of contact in it, I don't think you blow your whistle in that case. This is a game you want players to decide. Now, on the Maya Spencer foul, you've got to understand why it was called. Because it was called by the official who was supposed to call it who didn't have the proper perspective. The far side official was staring at the back of the play. That's where the whistle came from, and he didn't see the incidental wrap-up. Kudos to the Texas player who got her arm under Maya Spencer and did a great acting job. I don't know if Texas has a theater school, but she made it look like a foul. It obviously wasn't. I'm pretty sure right now Longhorn fans will tell you, eh, that's probably not a foul, but we'll take it. Of course, when you foul out your best player. This is one that goes down for Westmore the same way the injury... To I believe it was um, Mackenzie Goodwin Williams a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It's going to go down as that same story. This is an NC State women's basketball team that outperformed the men's team that had an excellent, excellent season, a whole lot of quality victories, including mm-hmm. including beating no- number two Notre Dame at the time, which, who is which a number that, one seed. Which that team could be in the national championship and probably lose to UConn by twenty. You know, but. <laughs> This one's a really tough and bitter pill to swallow for NC State because yep. once it again like it seems like you're you're just on the wrong end. NC State ish is gender inclusive. Well, obviously. <laughs> so we come to the remaining bright spots. Aside from swimming and diving and wrestling, Kevin Jack with a third place bronze finish should have gotten first. I'm well, so tricked about you kidding me. I I agree with that completely, but that's the way wrestling works. Is you got to bring it on that day. So we come to the diamond sports. We come to softball, and we come to baseball. I want to start with softball here in this case. 
because this softball my team, bread and butter. This softball team's turning a corner and doing so pretty quietly after you look at an overall record because they just finished off a sweep, including a run rule victory against the Virginia Cavaliers. Only one loss in ACC play so far, and they're butting right up against the ACC's elite Florida State and North Carolina. By the way, big three-game tilt coming up in Chapel Hill Anderson Stadium as the Tar Heels will host the Wolfpack coming up this weekend. You know, it, it, it's kind of like the same thing with basketball. The women's team almost outperforming the men's team. Well, of course, And this is a women's team that had no zero. expectations this year. Zero. Because they lost everybody. You know, everybody they, except Tyler Ross. Yeah, and I mean, they battled. They battled some injuries this year, but you know, Molly Hutchison, you know, uh, kind of battling with uh, some injuries of her own. But you know, the freshman Jade Caraway has done incredible this season. Currently first on the team in batting average at four hundred two and hits with thirty five. So, and she's an outfielder having you know great field plays. But yeah, NC State, their softball squad is looking great. We called we called a couple of Virginia games. And they swept them. They made a mockery of the Cavaliers. And then, you know, beating Syracuse in their first ACC series, winning two of three against the Orange. While I don't know if NC State, honestly, has a chance against the Tar Heels this weekend. I th- I, I think th- they might be able to steal a game. Because yeah, while, steal, while, while Carolina's, Carolina has excellent individual players, I don't necessarily think they're an excellent top-to-bottom team, even though they are receiving votes. Mm-hmm. And they haven't played a particularly strong ACC schedule so far. We're still early in this ACC softball season. We haven't gotten to the meat of it yet, which is why this series is very interesting. And this is arguably going to be the toughest series NC State has to play in their schedule this year. Yeah, they're not having to play Florida State. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do think this team is on the rise. I think Sean Reichick has a good group of girls on the diamond right now, you know, you look at the the seniors, you know, Tyler Ross, always swinging for the fences mentality. I feel like that's kind of like the entire team, really. They're, they're hitting the ball out of the park, you know, doing incredible work behind the plate. And you look at the infield, you know, you've got you know, Cheyenne Balser, Alyssa Compton. Those guys, those girls are doing great. You know, Alyssa Compton, the shortstop, best fielder, in my opinion, on this NC State team. She She's doing great, you know, game in and game out. I think the bats could be... A little nicer to them. I think they've struggled a little bit behind the plate, but they're a power hitting team, and I think they're on the rise. It's kind of I'd like to see where this team will be at the end of the season because you've got to wonder losing those seniors is going to be a big blow to them in the coming years. And it will be, and losing Tyler Ross especially when you had so many players transfer out randomly, really, or just leave softball altogether. That hurts, and especially when you lose Meredith Burroughs, who's one of my personal favorite players and a strong, strong first baseman at the plate and in the field, to East Carolina. That really stings you a lot. But this freshman core producing, Haley Kobziak coming into her own, Haley Finn, her first collegiate home run is a grand slam against Virginia on Friday. Oh, that was awesome. It that was, was awesome. These freshmen are producing. In both games I've been, there have been two first-time home runs, and they've been big ones. You know, they got the grand exactly. slam from Finn, and then Haley Kobzak with a two-run homer in, the, in, her, uh, in her contest against Fordham. So and, that was awesome. And here's the fun part about this. It's not like you're just getting production from the freshmen and the seniors have mailed it in. It's the circular flow of energy where if Tyler Ross hits a home run, the freshmen want to go, I can do better. And if the freshmen are starting to do something, then you go right back up to the seniors. This is what you want, this mechanical inner working of a softball team. 
and you really want to look at where the difference is being made, look no further than this coaching staff. Kieran Kumar, Tracy Otik-Zins, and Sean Reichick. Sean Reichick has over 400 career victories between two schools, Boston and NC State. More than Mark Godfrey, right? Because he you, has 401. You, you want to tell me that that guy doesn't know what he's doing? Because Sean Reichick can coach softball. In my opinion, if I had to look at it right now, I think Wes Moore is the NC State coach of the year in all the sports. I think you got to give a look at Braden Holloway. But oh, my, my dark horse candidate for that has to be Sean Reichick. Shifting you gotta, over, you've also got to talk about Pat Papalizzi. I, I mean, that, that guy's sitting two, 10, 10? All of his starters... To the NCAA tournament, that's a mark that's incredible. It is, and and he has built that wrestling program for as well, which has been so exciting and continues the great heavyweight tradition from Tab Thacker all the way to Nick Wisdowski, who, of course, graduated. In the little time we have left, though, we do want to talk about the baseball team who is leaking a little bit of oil. And it's one, A little bit? A little it, bit? It's one thing to drop a game against Hawaii. It's another thing to drop a game against Austin P. But how about this losing four out of five to Charlotte, Rhode Island, Maryland, and Western Carolina? <coughs> losing and Campbell. Losing the ACC series opener against Wake Forest. And then dropping a game to the Campbell Camels. Here's the thing. Favorite mascot ever. That's oh, one of them for sure. <laughs> Here's the thing about this one. Campbell was out big early in that game. State came back, scoring eight runs. NC State has lost games scoring five runs. They've lost eight to nine to Western Carolina, scoring another eight. So it's not necessarily a consistent offensive problem, but here we are talking about what is going on on the pitcher's mound at North Carolina State University. And thus far, it ain't been good. No, I mean, you'd, you'd hope that the return of Brian Brown from injury was going to help, but it hasn't been the case. The pitching has not just even been close. not not near where it expected. Currently ranking 192nd, I believe in uh, I believe it was 192nd in earn run average for the for just the total staff in general. But you know, you look at you talk about pitching, but it's not just them. I mean, there are guys that have just been struggling. You know, Mendoza is not having a great year. Dunand is not having a, a, a stellar season either, either. The juniors on this team, who are supposed to be leaders, are struggling as well. And it's really been a story of this season where just more high expectations. You know, a team coming in ranked sixth in the nation, and they've disappointed. And you look at that matchup against Miami where they NC State was dominant in its first two contests, and... NC State just shot itself in the foot and dropped a game on Sunday, which they should have won. It was one of the longest games ever, but NC State just, when things go wrong, they go really wrong for them. And especially for this baseball team. If things go south... Oh yeah, no, for the you, baseball team. That's right. I mean, you were either at the bottom of the ocean or you are at the top of Mount Everest, and I think that's a welcome relief to some NC State fans because you really know the situation on any given day. These weekday games have been Killing the NC State Wolfpack. Yeah, and while, mid, while midweek games aren't that important to have, it's nice to win one or two because, I mean, it's... Well, and it certainly helps when you look at overall record and seeding going into the NCAA tournament. And right one, now this team one, would not make it. It's one thing to win the ACC. It's one thing to make the ACC tournament, which right now, after two ACC series and a 500 ACC record, you're looking and going, oh boy, what happened to this team that was ranked top 10 in the preseason? But... 
you're just looking at this, and we all kind of got this very, very good look at pitching last year, and we thought, okay, well, you're going to lose a couple pitchers, but you're going to have a lot of the usual suspects back, and hopefully they'll be good. Joe O'Donnell, 1.50 ERA and a 3-0 and record, not bad. Austin Staley, higher ERA at 2.86. Sean Adler has not had the season that he once nope. had at 3.81. Brian Brown, just getting back into the swing of things, kept the ERA low, still doesn't have a win, though. And then you look at this relief pitching rotation where Tommy DeJunis is hanging at oh, 2.70. He's not been Johnny Piedmont is hanging out at 3.68. And all of these players are at 990 to 623. Zach Uselman, Cody Beckman, Evan Brayband, Christian Demby, and Corey Wilder. Those guys pitched last year. Those guys pitched well last year. And now all of a sudden you're telling me that you can't manage to go out there and do your job and get your outs? That's an issue. And Corey Wilder was an excellent weekday starter last year for the NC State Wolfpack. And it just has not equaled success for Elliott Avon and company this year. Yeah, and Every time you talk to Elliot Avon in those press conferences, he he doesn't really have a lot of answers. I mean, he's he constantly says they just need to get better, and while that might be true, I mean, that's just not it. I mean, there, there's got to be something else to it because while every NC State fan knew that pitching was going to be a weakness, and while you w- really wouldn't want that to be your weakness, it's going to have the bats coming off really well, but... You know, it's been on the mound, and, and there's something going on. It's got to be a mental thing. It's got to be the high well, expectations. Baseball. I mean, Yogi Berra. What was it? Half of baseball is ninety percent mental. Yep. <laughs> and NC State. While Elliot Davis is a great coach, I think. I mean, of course, he's a little surprised that his team has just perf- underperformed this season. But, and and they've got got a team coming up Friday, the Louisville Cardinals, and they are. Absolutely Who, tremendous, incredible. tremendous baseball program. Number one, number one, and you know Notre Dame, Florida State, Carolina, Boston College, Virginia Tech, who is playing outstanding baseball and took two or three against Florida State, <coughs> Pittsburgh, Clemson. Those are your remaining three game ACC sets at a twelve and ten record overall. Is it time to hit the panic button for this baseball team? You know, let's see how they perform against the Cardinals, but. You know, it's if I had to do like a level step, you know, like DefCon one, DefCon two, or something, I would say it's right at right under the panic mode. You know, if NC State, while I don't DefCon four, I I don't I don't have them winning a single game this weekend. I think if you know if they're shut out once or twice, then it's definitely panic mode. But I'm gonna go with right below panic mode for them. <laughs> well, it will be very interesting to see what this baseball team does because. I still think the talent's there. I just think it's a matter of being able to exercise it and show it in a timely fashion. And as you get into the heart of conference play, you can't really hold anything back at this point. I tell you this much, these next ACC series that are coming up, pivotal for the NC State Wolfpack if they really want to start to make a run at making the ACC tournament and perhaps trying to win Elliott Avent an ACC tournament trophy. That's going to do it for this week's show of the Howard. Nick, this has been a really good show, I think. We, we had a lot of fun doing this one. Oh, yeah. Of course, you know, talking with you once a week is always a pleasure. But, you know, 
had a lot of great topics this weekend, women's basketball, Keats, and of course the lovely Diamond Sports, but can't wait to get back at it next week. Most certainly, and we'll be able to talk more about the NC State baseball team. Maybe we'll have more information about Kevin Keats, maybe some information about players, uh, notably one who most likely will not be coming back to NC State University. Of course, a whole lot more. You've just been given the state of Wolfpack Athletics. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. For Nick Sinopoli, I'm Drew Levins. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to The Howler, a service of PAC-TV. Find out more at go.ncsu.edu slash sports. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com.